Hey everybody, this is Father John Ricardo with Acts 29, and in the middle of all the craziness and the uncertainty that's going on right now, it seems from our perspective as a team that it's worth using these days to reflect in a more deliberate way on the scriptures every day, which for many of us now is the only spiritual food that we're receiving. And so we're going to do a special podcast series simply entitled, Be Not Afraid, God's Word in Uncertain Times. And we'll try to post something every day, usually reflecting on the scriptures so that we can listen in on what God is trying to say to us in these days. Some most welcome news an incredibly powerful reflection from Pope Benedict XVI and a very practical application of that news and Pope Benedict's words. Those are the three things on my mind here today on this Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, May 13th, as we reflect upon John's Gospel offered to us at Mass, chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. So the welcome news was that the Archbishop of Detroit, uh, Archbishop Alan Vigneron, announced yesterday that Masses can resume uh, as soon as next Tuesday in the Archdiocese and will resume uh, as quickly as May 29th. This is great news for us here in uh, the diocese to which I belong, and I know that it's happening in other parts of the country as well, and please God, it will just continue to, to roll out as we seek to emerge from this time of social distancing, obviously. Lots of precautions are being taken place. Uh, you're going to have to wear masks inside churches. Uh, got to remain six feet apart from people. Churches can only be at 25% of their capacity. But still, this is great news and an opportunity for us to uh, resume, again, what the Archbishop wonderfully called the single most essential activity in the world. That's the Mass. But as I began thinking about this today, and as I was reading with the gospel in a particular way, I almost felt myself asking the question, so what? Like, to what purpose? Or what will be the difference in the lives of those who come forward? It's, it's almost like this is a great opportunity for us as we prepare, most of us anyway, to go back to communion to ask why does Jesus give himself to us, and what does he expect? I mean, is it simply, simply um, a tremendous act of intimate union? Because it is that, to be sure, right? The Lord gives himself to us. God is love. What does love want? Love wants union with the beloved. That's why God gives himself to us. But it's so easy for us, I think, for many of us as Catholics, to see the Eucharist in a very individualistic, private way. Like, I want to get back to Mass. I want my Eucharist. Well, what does God want? What does he expect out of me and out of you? Or maybe better, what is the fruit that he's looking for as a result of his giving himself to me and to you? What should the world expect from us returning to communion? Will the world notice that Christians, that Catholics have returned to Mass. I wonder. That's what led me to Pope Benedict's reflection. I've always found that the trilogy that he wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, to be one of the most moving uh, works on the life of Jesus that I've come across. And this passage, John 15, verses 1 to 8, is uh, powerfully reflected upon him in the first volume of this book. Let me just share some of the wonders of Pope Benedict's uh, reflections here and offer this to us as, uh, as something for us to contemplate today and then to make a, a quick application of it. 
He says, in becoming incarnate, that is, becoming flesh, God has bound himself. At the same time, though, the discourse, this discourse, John 15, speaks of the demands that this gift places upon us in ever new ways. The vine can no longer be uprooted or handed over to be plundered. It does, however, constantly need purification. Purification, fruit, remaining, commandment, love, unity. These are the key words for this drama of being in and with the Son in the vine that the Lord's words place before our soul. Purification. The church and the individual need constant purification. Processes of purification which are as necessary as they are painful. We've all been going through one in this time, haven't we? These processes run through the whole of history, the whole life of those who have dedicated themselves to Christ. The mystery of death and resurrection is ever-present in these purifications. When man and his institutions climb too high, they need to be cut back. What has become too big must be brought back to the simplicity and poverty of the Lord himself. It is only by undergoing such processes of dying away that fruitfulness endures and renews itself. The goal of purification is fruit, the Lord tells us. What sort of fruit is it that he expects? We might just quickly pause and say, let's think about that question as we prepare to return to Mass. What does God expect to happen as a result of our returning to Mass? And what should the world those around us who don't know Jesus yet, expect as a result of you and me returning to the public celebration of Mass. The vine, Benedict says, is meant to bear choice grapes that through the process of picking, pressing, and fermentation will produce excellent wine. Let us recall that the parable of the vine occurs in the context of Jesus' Last Supper, After the multiplication of the loaves, the gospel we heard last week, he had spoken of the true bread from heaven that he would give, and thus he left us with a profound interpretation of the Eucharistic bread that was to come. It's hard to believe that in his discourse on the vine, he's not tacitly alluding to the new wine that had already been prefigured at Cana, and which now he gives us the wine that would flow from his passion, from his love to the end quoting John 13.1. In this sense, the parable of the vine has a thoroughly Eucharistic background. It refers to the fruit that Jesus brings forth, his love, which pours itself out for us in the cross, and which is the choice new wine destined for God's marriage feast with man. Thus we come to understand the full depth and grandeur of the Eucharist, even though it is not explicitly mentioned here, The Eucharist points us toward the fruit that we, as branches of the vine, can and must bear with Christ and by virtue of Christ. The fruit the Lord expects of us. Ah, here we go. Here's the answer. The fruit the Lord expects of us is love. A love that 
grasps with him the mystery of the cross and becomes a participation in his self-giving and hence the true justice that prepares the world for the kingdom of God. Purification and fruit belong together. Only by undergoing God's purification can we bear the fruit that flows into the Eucharistic mystery and so leads to the marriage feast that is the goal toward which God directs history. Fruit and love belong together. The true fruit is the love that is passed through the cross, through God's purifications, and remaining is an essential part of all this. In verses 1 to 10 of this 15th chapter of John, the word remain occurs 10 times. What the church fathers call perseverance, patient steadfastness in communion with the Lord amid all the vicissitudes of life is placed center stage here. This is still Benedict. Initial enthusiasm is easy, he says. Afterward, though, it's time to stand firm, even along the monotonous desert paths that we are called upon to traverse in this life, with the patience it takes to tread evenly, a patience in which the romanticism of the initial awakening subsides, so that only the deep, pure yes of faith remains. This is the way to produce good wine. After the brilliant illuminations of the initial moment of his conversion, St. Augustine had a profound experience of this toilsome patience. That is how he learned to love the Lord and to rejoice deeply at having found him. Clearly, brothers and sisters, we have been going through a time of intense purification. Everything from the suffering Uh, that's been brought on by this pandemic and all the ways in which it's rippled out into the different aspects of our lives, not least of which is the absence from the public assembly and the inability for almost all of us to receive the Eucharist. But as we now start preparing to be able to go back, I beg us to reflect on what difference will this make in my life practically. God gives himself to us so that we will experience his love, and so that we will have the power and the grace and the strength to both love him and one another. That's the fruit. That's what he's looking for. And perhaps most practically, to remind us that love is not some sappy, sentimental, gooey feeling, but a concrete action. Maybe I could just encourage us to think about it in this way. We as Christians, tragically, I, as a disciple of Jesus, tragically, very often sound just like the world. Our speech is tragically so similar to the way the world speaks. This can't be, people. If we're looking for a practical way in which receiving Jesus again in the Eucharist is going to bear an impact in my life and that people are going to notice, maybe we can reflect on how we talk. Two passages just to reflect on. One from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 36, where Jesus, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, tells us this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will render account, men will render an account for every careless word they utter. 
for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I don't know about you, that passage scares me to death. How many careless words do you and I utter in the course of a day towards our spouse, our kids, our parents, the governor, the president, some other political figure, somebody in the church, somebody who doesn't hold an opinion that we do? For every careless word, I will render an account. And finally, from the letter of James, James reminds us there, the tongue, with this tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, he says, this ought not to be so. In other words, this cannot be so. Many of us are looking forward to receiving Jesus into our mouths again. He'll be placed on our tongues, or we will place him on our tongues with our own hands. And the tongue is supposed to be purified by it. It's supposed to bear fruit. It's supposed to sound like the one on whom we feed. Let's thank the Lord that we're going to be able to go back to the Eucharist soon. Let's beg him for the grace to truly help us to bear fruit. Let's pray that our speech will be what God intends it to be, that it will always be uttered in love, and that by our love, the Lord might be more powerfully known.